Welcome to the latest episode of the Odds On Podcast, your home of football and sports betting. My name's Dan Tracy and for the next 45 minutes I'm joined by two top guests as we dissect all the numbers, look for the value and find those long shots before this weekend's football action. As I say, it's not just me on the show today, so before we start waxing lyrical about wagers, let's get the introductions out of the way. First up, I'm joined by James Caps. James, it's a pleasure to have you on the show again. How have you been this past week? Yeah, I've been pretty good. I think I've mainly been revelling in a 4-1 to tip of an Aston Villa win to nil against Everton over the weekend. I mean, I'm not one to brag, but I held up the queue in the post office for about half an hour talking about it on Monday morning. So yeah, I feel like a man in form at the minute. I'm glad to hear. Also, you're joined by Jamie again this week. Jamie, it's been a mixed bag for Tottenham during the past seven days, shall we say. A rollercoaster of emotions. A fantastic, dramatic win at Leicester. A yeah. indifferent performance at Chelsea. How's it been for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've experienced all the highs and lows of uh, being a football fan this week. Of course, we had the incredible win at Leicester. Um, I mean, regardless of just being three points, I think to win in those circumstances with two incredibly late goals was was just a a very special moment. But um, yeah, obviously, the performance at Chelsea, again, another defeat at Chelsea, another defeat at the top, uh, away at a top six club. Spurs, awful, awful record there. So uh, I think that that will certainly play a big part. We've still got some big... Um, games at Anfield, Man City. So I think that that will play a big part in our pursuit of the top four. Um, I did actually say on the last show that Spurs would lose to, by two goals against Chelsea. Um, and we obviously lost 2-0. So, um, yeah, very it was a very mixed week for Spurs. But uh, I'm hoping it will get a bit better with the transfer window. Let's see. Fingers crossed. We'll discuss that in a bit more detail later. So with all the intros out of the way, let's get down to business. And of course, before we start, wherever you bet this weekend, check your bets with freebets.com, your best place for offers, tips and insights. Right, it's time to look ahead to the weekend. And it's one with a more international flavour, shall we say, because although the Premier League has a winter break this week, the rest of the footballing world is very much in action. And that action will intensify in South America. So, James, with Brazil and Argentina already earning their tickets to Qatar in the winter, there are two automatic qualification spots from South America still up for grabs. The question is, with four points separating fourth to ninth, who's taking your fancy at the moment? I mean, it's it's a tricky one to call, really, because the South American qualifying for the World Cup has played out in quite a similar fashion to the English Championship over here, really. Brazil and Argentina aside, everyone has largely been beating each other, which is kind of why the table is where it is now. I think it's summed up by... The fact that seven of the ten sides going into the latest round of games, they all have negative goal differences. And a lot of sides are struggling for goals. There's a clutch of four or five teams averaging around one goal per game, which is hardly going to get you qualifying for major tournaments. So I think there's going to be a lot of nervy, a lot of cagey games coming up. And increasingly so as we get towards that final round of games in around March time. Now, Jamie, Ecuador are going to feel confident of getting themselves over the line. They're third in the table at the time of recording. So there's matches to spare for them to drop the odd point here and there. However, yeah. this match day 15, they go up against Brazil. And that's going to be the trickiest task of all. Because Brazil are unbeaten in this marathon grueling schedule, which is the Comedy Bowl qualifiers. So could you see anything different happening this weekend? Could you see Ecuador getting at least a point? Because home advantage is, is important in South America. 
Yeah, um, no, I, I think that Brazil are just going to be too good. I think they are looking really good ahead of the World Cup. Of course, they've won 11 of, the, of their 13 qualifying matches. They have been really dominant. They've only conceded four goals um, during that period. Um, but Ecuador are obviously quite an interesting one. They have, uh, they're on, they uh, undefeated in three. They've won the last two. Um, they inflicted Chile's first defeat um, after following three straight wins for Chile. So they're obviously a side that are in form. Um, Ecuador, they are also a side that have managed to score quite a lot of goals. They've got, they've scored 23 goals, which makes them the second highest goal scorers in, in the South American qualifying. Brazil are top with 27. So I think it's a game where I would expect both teams to score. That would kind of be where I'd look to go for in that one. But for me, I definitely, you know, if I was goes for both teams to score, I'd definitely go with a Brazil win as well. Because, as I said, they just look so strong at the moment. Um, Neymar is, is a bit, you know, second top scorer in their in qualifying. So, um, yeah, I, I really see a Brazil win in, uh, in that match. OK, let's stay on the topic of Brazil now, because obviously there is a World Cup year on the horizon, that being in winter. I'm still not used to that, but... James, at the time of recording, Brazil are 6-1 to joint favourites. Is that a fair price at the moment? Do you feel that's kind of value or is it overpriced? What do you make of the South Americans going into this tournament? Well, Brazil rarely make a meal of World Cup qualifying and I think their favouritism is largely a symptom of the fact that people just like backing Brazil. They usually have a half-decent team. They've got recognisable stars, so whether you're really into your football or you're not, they always make for a pretty attractive bet, but... That said, I, I wouldn't be particularly interested in backing them. Look at the squads and for, for Brazil, it's pretty average really. Defensively, yeah, they're vastly experienced, but Thiago Silva, Dani Alves, well into their mid-30s. Alexandro isn't really a great fullback, let's face it. And going forward, that isn't a huge amount to go on. There is talent there, of course there is. I mean, Vinicius Jr. is having a great season with Real Madrid. Anthony Ajax is destined for a big move soon, but... You know, Neymar has had his fitness issues over the last few years. I like Gabriel Jesus, but is he a World Cup winning number nine? I personally don't think so. And there also appears to be a bit of a lack of spark in midfield. I mean, their they're big guns are really sort of more destructive defensive midfield types. And I just think there's better bets out there. I like France again this time around. I think they're joint favourites alongside Brazil around the sort of 6-1, to 13-2 mark. And... I think they're way ahead of Brazil in terms of their overall development as a side. They've just got that big game experience at the sharp end of major international tournaments. I think they're a much better bet than the Brazilians this time around. Well, I was going to mention France. So my next question. So let's go to France now because, Jamie, they won the World Cup in 2018. It's difficult to win a World Cup. But it's even mm. trickier to defend it. So as James has alluded to there, they are joint favourites, give or take, at 6-1 to one or 13-2. to two. So a lot can yeah. change in the World Cup year. It's only, what, January now. It's going to be another 10 months until it takes place. Mm. Are France good value for 6-1? to one? Are they right at joint favourites? Yeah, I, I think at the Euros, they, they were in very mixed form. And actually, I was, I was slightly kind of expecting how they did. They obviously got knocked out. I think it was the last 16 in which they went out to Switzerland. Um, I just think with that sort of squad, when you've got that many personalities, I think it can be very difficult and there can always be that sort of clash. And there just seemed to be that. Hap that just seemed to happen at the Euros for them. Um, however, obviously at the Nations League, they won the Nations League and they did look really revitalised. They've seemed to have added a number of players um, into that squad where, you know, they've, they've obviously got the key players like the uh, Benzema's, the Griezmann's, Mbappe, Loris, 
Um, so they've got all those experienced players, but they've kind of added new players to that from from their World Cup win. They've, of course, got Kunde, Tua Shemeni, who are uh, obviously having a fantastic season in Monaco, Upa Meccano, Teo Hernandez. So they've really added some some new players into that, that, that side, younger players, but they've got that experience as well. So I do think they're a side that do look really revitalised now. I think they'll definitely have a better campaign than they did in the Euros. So, yeah, I think they're a really good shout to go and win the competition uh, in, in 2020 or this year. Um, so they've surely got to be one of the favourites, but they have been dominant in, in their qualifying for, for the World Cup. They won five of the last uh, eight uh, eight matches um, and they've conceded just three goals. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think France will, will definitely be a threat um, at the World Cup for sure. Then again, James, there's always England because, as you said with Brazil, people within England will always lump money on England. So there's obviously the disappointment of that evening in July last year. There's also the World Cup semi-finals of 2018. Is 2022 the year for Gareth Southgate's men? And at 7-1, to one, is that a good price? <laughs> I mean, the answer is no for me, but that doesn't mean I won't be down the bookies sticking a few quid on it with it's coming home ringing in my ears. I mean, question marks will... Always been there with Southgate. Does he have the tactical now to win several games against the bigger nations? I mean, with England, you think they probably could win the one-off game against a, a France, a Brazil or a Spain. But it's, it's the next game against a big gun that I think they'll struggle with. And defensively, the Euros, they were wobbly against Germany. And it was backs against the wall against Italy for a good 75 minutes of the game. And neither Italy or Germany are particularly great sides for me. So... You know, when the South American teams come to town and the other strong European nations, when they start to hit a bit of form, I think we'll just fall short again. Probably a quarter-final or semi-final job, I'm afraid. Now, Jamie, much will be made of the temperature out in Qatar. Much mm. has been made of the temperature out in Qatar already. So could this play into the hands of the AFCON nations? Because they will have some experience or perhaps better experience of playing in more temperate climates. Could we finally see an African winner at the World Cup? Um, I'm going to say right now, almost certainly no. Oh. Uh, I think if you look, <laughs> um, yeah, pretty, pretty convicting answer. But yes. um, no, I, I do think it's very unlikely. I think if you look at kind of the standard of the African Cup of Nations at the moment, there hasn't really been a particular standout side. I mean, Cameroon currently looked like the, the host nation, currently looked the best place to, if they were, if any um, African team was to win the World Cup. Um, Cameroon probably look the best place. They've got the shortest odds at 200 to one. Ghana and Ivory Coast are also short odds, but they, I just um, Ghana went out in the group stages. So I think the kind of the the standard of African football, and you look at the African combinations, it's just been pretty low at the moment. Um, for me, I think Cameroon would probably be the best shout. They have got the top scorer in the. Uh, uh, in the competition at the moment. Abubakai's got six goals. They've got experienced players like Anana, uh, Toku Akambi, who plays for Lyon. And you've got Chupa Moting, who's obviously had some fantastic moves recently to Bayern Munich um, and PSG. Um, but actually, I, I think that the the, the, uh, the temperatures will, will play a factor in it. I think certain teams, maybe especially the European teams, will struggle in that. And I think you'll see maybe some upsets with some of the big European teams struggling with that. So actually, I'm kind of favouring some of the South American sides to really do well. I, I really like the look of Argentina. They've, of course, just won the Copa America. They've got a really well... I think they've just got a really well-rounded side at the moment. And I think that that could be something that plays a factor. I don't think they've necessarily got the best squad, but just as a team, they just look really strong at the moment. So I think Argentina, there's, uh, I've got them at 10-1 to 1 to win the competition. For me, I really like the look of Argentina. So... Um, they're, they're a side that I'd, I'd definitely look, look out for. 
Well, of course, there's a long time till the World Cup. It will go quickly, but if you're ready to sort of stake your bets, there's the kind of guide early doors for 2022. It's going to be a really interesting World Cup. I know people have sort of said, oh, you know, Qatar, what do they know about hosting the World Cup and all this? But when it gets to the World Cup, you'll watch it, won't you? I mean, it's kind of just, it is the World Cup, it's what you do. So it's always going to be a fascinating tournament. It might even be the the last of the best tournaments because with it going to 48 teams, you do wonder if the World Cup will be too bloated from 2026 onwards. But of course, we'll probably watch that as well. So let's move on now to our long shot Acker. Last week, we offered long shots each, but I want you to kind of work together this time. And with James on hot form after his well-mentioned Aston Villa win at Everton last week, I'm hoping you've got something interesting for me this time round. Something between, say, 2-1 to one and 5-1. to one. What's your offering in the long shot Acker? Did I, did I mention that, Dan? I, I didn't think I mentioned that uh, Aston Villa win. <laughs> it uh, may have come up. <laughs> yeah, it must, have, must have completely slipped my mind. But, but this time this time around, I'm going to... I'm going to head over to AFCON for my leg. I'm going to plump for Burkina Faso to beat Tunisia in Saturday's second quarter final. And unlike pretty much everyone else, I've actually scored in every game so far. And I think they're quite an underrated side. They often spring surprises at this tournament. And Tunisia did beat Nigeria to get to this stage. But Super Eagles were a bit all over the place in that game. And I think Burkina Faso, after their penalty shootout win over Gabon, I think they can get into the semis here. They're 11-4 to to win this one in 90 minutes, which looks way, way overpriced to me. Excellent. And Jamie, what have you got to add? Yep. So what one that's maybe not necessarily this weekend, but uh, one that will be soon coming up is Cameroon. I, I, I'm back in Cameroon to, to go and win the African Cup of Nations. They are, of course, the, home, home, uh, the host nation. They're five times holders, which makes them the second highest holders. And they do seem to be kind of the strongest team in the competition. Um, I do also have one from the weekend. Uh, for the weekend, and that's Cambridge United to, bleep, to beat Fleetwood Town. Um, I've got that at three to one. Um, Mark uh, Bonner's side are undefeated in, in four and have won all of the last three matches. They've, of course, had that fantastic result at St James's Park just recently, so they are in really good form and they are above Fleetwood in the table. So um, I'm back in Cambridge to beat Fleetwood Town on the weekend. I like that shout. I'll add Paraguay to get the better of Uruguay in the World Cup qualifiers before the weekend, actually, I think it is. So I guess. The rhyme and reason here is that, as was alluded to earlier, the South American World Cup qualifiers are brutal and they are like the championship where anyone, bar perhaps Brazil and Argentina, will take points off absolutely anyone. And at 2-1, to one, it's just in the kind of long shot bracket. It's just in range. So, yeah, why not? I just think it's it's got a, a chance, hasn't it, at 2-1. to one. And as I say, home advantage is key in South American qualifiers and I'm hoping that comes good this week. So before we go on to our next segment, of course, check out freebets.com for the latest offers and enhanced odds from all the leading bookmakers if any of those bets take your interest. Right, let's talk transfers now because the window has been rather slow, but I guess January's always are. You know, there's always that clamour for clubs to sign players, but it's not quite as feverish as the summer. But that said, there is still a few days left to go before that window slams shut. And James, in terms of the teams within the Premier League, who needs big business the most and can they get it done in time? Well, I look at look at Burnley and I see a side that is desperately short, especially while Maxwell Cornet is at AFCON. I also think Leeds could perhaps do with a bit of a refresh. I feel as if the current crop of players has perhaps taken them as far as they can go. They need reinforcements all over the pitch, really, especially with Patrick Bamford struggling for fitness. And obviously, you've got Newcastle as well. I think they'll just about get Diego Carlos over the line, mainly because they know they have to. So they'll probably just reach slightly deeper into the pockets to get that one over the line. And look, most, most January deals tend to get done in the last few days anyway. So I wouldn't panic just yet if I was a fan of a Premier League club that needed a signing or two. And 
I think there's going to be plenty of incomings at size towards the bottom of the table. There's going to be a lot of money changing hands. Well, I've got a feeling Jamie's panicking because, like him, he, he's a Tottenham fan. So I could give you hours probably on Tottenham's transfer woes <laughs> this month alone. So, with that being the case at the moment, let's try and get it down to minutes. But what do you see in terms of major yeah. deals, in or out? Do you see anything happening? Because time is ticking. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think they definitely need to go and back Antonio Conte. We know that he's a manager that that does always kind of have very high demands of the clubs. He, of course, walked out and into Milan. So I, I think there's a real kind of a real certainty that he could do the same at Tottenham if he wasn't to get back. So I think that Paratici and Daniel Levy will be looking to bring in some players. I think Adama Traore, he, of course, is, is very short odds to join Spurs. And I do think we'll see him um, arrive uh, this week. I think Luis Diaz of Porto is one that's also been linked. Um, that would obviously be a very expensive deal, um, but it's clearly one that Spurs are trying to get done. Um, so I think that that could potentially be another player that comes in. So I'm kind of expecting maybe two in at Spurs this week, maybe a third if we are able to get a central midfielder over the line as well. Um, but also, I think the important thing for Spurs will be to get players out the door as well. I think that you've got a number of players there that are kind of that aren't aren't really in the fold that have really been pushed aside by Conte. You've got Ndombele, Deli Ali, and Giovanni De Celso, of course, all three big players and all big players that are on on huge wages. So um, Spurs definitely need to get them out the door. Uh, for me, I think Deli Ali going to Newcastle would be a good shout now because it looks like Jesse Lingard's move to Newcastle looks to collapse. So I think they'll look for alternatives and Deli Ali is a, an option that's going to be available. I think Spurs will make it fairly easy for him to get out the door. So uh, I really fancy Deli Ali to join Newcastle as well. So uh, that's definitely one that I can see getting done. Now, Jamie, I'll stay with you very quickly because Adama Traore has been linked constantly with a move to Tottenham. He's currently 1-20 to on for that move mm. to take place. As a betting man, would you place that bet knowing what Tottenham are capable of in terms of dragging their heels? Would you still be nervy with those odds? Um, no, I, I do think this. I do genuinely think this one will get done. I think that it's one where Spurs obviously have are just setting their heels firm over. You know, they're, they're just digging in over their valuation of the player. So I think that we will see Adama Traore arrive. He's clearly a player that everyone at the club wants. I think he's a very good value as well, regardless of Spurs still trying to get down the price. I mean, typical Spurs, but. No, I, I, I do thoroughly expect uh, Adama Traore to get done. Um, and it's an important, I think it's an important one as well because we do need a new right wing back. Of course, you look at Conte's system, how heavily reliant it is on wing backs. The plan is to have Adama as a wing back. Um, so I, I think Spurs will really push for this one and, and we'll get it done. But I mean, my goodness me, to have gone 26 days for, uh, for a £20 million deal, it just seems totally outrageous from Spurs. So uh, I think it will get done, but... They're taking their time about it. Right, let's move away from Spurs because it's not good for my blood pressure. But, yes, please. <laughs> James, with the title race taking a slight twist in the Premier League or at least some form of interest over the last week with Man City being held by Southampton, do you think this will perhaps trigger City into actually getting a forward this month? There's talk of Julian Alvarez coming from River Plate. Now, that's all very well if they get him in the next few days, but that could also create a bit of a logjam in the bigger picture of Erlen Haaland or Harry Kane. So will they stick or twist? Uh, I, I don't think they'll make a major acquisition this January. I think it almost looked like they were signing a striker for the sake of it a little bit. I don't think they need to strike a full stop, if I'm being completely honest. The way they play and the volume of chances they create, they simply 
don't need to go out and get one, really. They've got Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Jesus if they're desperate. I mean, he'd score 20 goals a season playing up front, but for some reason, Pep doesn't want to pull the trigger and put him there, which is beyond me, really. I think he's a pretty underrated forwards, and if you stuck him in the penalty area with a chance of City create, he'd score 20, 25 goals a season, no problem at all. So I don't really see what the issue is there. I mean, I think I'd probably score 20 goals a season, about 150 shots a season playing alongside Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva. That's another conversation for another day. But no, I don't think a new striker is at the top of Pep's wish list. And if anything, I actually don't think that they need to make a great deal of tweaks at all to this side over the next 12 or 18 months. So it's, it's good times to be a Man City fan at the minute. Absolutely, it is. I guess it all links to how long Pep stays there. Because if he moves on in 18 months, then that may be the time where the house of cards in inverted commas might collapse. But for now, they're looking pretty. And also looking pretty are Blackburn in the Championship. However, there's a bit of a caveat there because Ben Brereton-Diaz is being linked with a whole host of Premier League clubs, Jamie. So Blackburn are going to be absolutely loath to lose him, not only at the end of the season, but certainly this month. Now, Brighton are currently favourites at 5-1 to one to land the Chilean international. Can you see that move taking place before the end of January? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, you can clearly see why a lot of Premier League clubs are after him. He scored 20 goals in 27 appearances this season in the Championship. He's only 22 years of age. He's a Chilean international. So, he's obviously a, you know, a very attractive player to kind of bring in. But, uh, as you said, Blackburn, they're obviously making a very strong push to get promoted. So, they'll be incredibly reluctant. And we, and we kind of know in January... It's, it's kind of the window of opportunities. And for me, this is not an opportunity. This is a club that would be very reluctant to lose that player. So I think that they're going to demand big money for him. So I think Brighton, obviously, the club that are being strongly, strongest linked. Um, I do get that link because I think that Brighton, I think they're a fantastic side under, under Graham Potter. He's obviously got them playing great football. The one thing they are missing is kind of a real goal scorer. Um, so they could potentially push for that. Of course, they've only got Neil Mope as their real out-and-out striker, maybe Daniel Welbeck as well, but he's obviously someone that gets injured. So you could definitely see them trying to push for it to bring in a striker like that. But um, I, I, I think Brighton, well, sorry, Blackburn, I think they'll just demand too much money. And uh, I think they'll price most Premier League clubs out of a move this, this, this month because I think in the summer, you know, they'll be able to get a similar sort of fee and... Uh, they won't want to run that, you know. They won't want to lose their top scorer um, when they're pushing for promotion. So I, uh, I don't think this one will get done, and I think he'll step Blackburn this month. I guess for Blackburn, it's also stick or twist for them because they can either cash in as much as they don't want to, or they could keep him. Hopefully, then get promoted, and then they kind of reap the rewards with the funds that come with promotion. So it's a real de- delicate balancing act for Blackburn at the moment, and we're going to mention them in a bit more detail later on as we just set the sort of championship race in terms of promotion because that's really heating up but before we do let's focus on teams that are trying to avoid going to the championship next season because what would you know James Watford have sacked another manager and the big question is can Roy Hodgson get the Hornets out of another fine mess well if anyone can get a side defensively robust again then you've got to say that Roy Hodgson is probably the man but he's got a huge amount of work on his hands and the problem is for him that he needs to improve them straight away, really. This is 30 Premier League games without a clean sheet, which will always have you in a spot of bother. And they've got plenty of tough fixtures coming up as well. The likes of West Ham, Villa, Manchester United and Arsenal all around the corner. So they really need points from games coming up over the next week against Burnley or Brighton. If they don't, it, it could be curtains already for Roy. Well, Jamie, if we look at Watford and their relegation odds at the time recording, they're currently short as one to three to go down. So would you be looking at that as a medium term investment towards May or can you see Watford benefiting from another new manager bounce? 
Yeah, so, I mean, for me personally, I do feel as though right now, I think Watford will be one of the sides that will go down. Um, I think they are missing kind of that experience of, of players that know how to stay up in, in the Premier League, know the kind of experience of, of being in a relegation battle. And, you know, as, as we said, they've got some very tough tri- uh, fixtures coming up. They've got, they've got to go to Old Trafford, the Etihad, Anfield, Selhurst, Stamford Bridge and St Mary's. So some really, really horrible games coming up as well. Um, the one thing they do have going for them is, of course, their goal scorers. They've obviously got Dennis, Emmanuel Dennis, who's having a fantastic season there. He's got eight goals. You've got Josh King as well. Uh, you've got Joao Pedro. So potentially their goal scorers could keep them up. And you compare them to maybe some of the other sides in and around the, the, the bottom three. They've got they've got the goal scorers there. But uh, I just feel as though they don't have that experience of players who know how to stay in the Premier League. So, uh for me, I, I really do think that Watford will go down this season. Um, I, I can see that for sure. Now, if we look at the odds across that market, we spoke about Everton in quite a bit of detail last week. And James, at 5-1 to one to suffer their first ever Premier League relegation, could this be the value bet in the pack? I just don't see it personally. Um, I think they've got enough to win games and get enough points to stay out of trouble. Brentford and Leeds both around the 6-1 to one mark and I think they're much better value for me. Both sides prone to poor runs of form and I think Newcastle and Norwich will probably be targeting those two sides as ones that they think they can probably drag into a dogfight over the next month or two rather than an Everton side that, yes, they're going through a tough spell that, but we can't deny that the quality they've got at the top end of the pitch. Lars of Richarlison, Dominic Cavalier, they will score goals and they'll win games and they'll probably just about heave themselves further up the table. They probably will, but their next managerial appointment is going to be massively important. It's always massively important when you know a new manager, but when you consider Everton, the name at the top of the list now is Vitor Pereira. Sacked as Fenerbahce boss at the end of last year, a move to Everton would be somewhat upwardly mobile, shall we say, and then you think, okay, well, no Premier League experience is not something that can automatically say he's going to do a bad job. For every Bruno Large, who's obviously taken to the division quite quickly, there's also a Felix Magat, who sunk Fulham like a stone when he took over about this time of the season in 2014. So it's a real tightrope. And if I'm the Everton owner, or majority shareholder, Fahad Mashiri, I'm not sure if that's worth the gamble. I know we spoke about the runners and riders last week, Jamie, but in terms mm-hmm. of Duncan Ferguson, has he fluffed his job interview in terms of that defeat to Villa? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I never think that I never really thought that Duncan Ferguson was ever going to get the appointment uh, was permanently appointed. I think he's obviously he's had the job a number of times now, and I think he very much is just seen as kind of a, an interim appointment. And I, I think the fans will want more ambition. You kind of see the protests they've been going on. They obviously want an ambitious appointment. Um, I know they've also been um, protesting already against Pereira coming in. So. You know, they are going to want an ambitious appointment. For me, I think that Lampard is probably the manager they want. That seems to be, you know, uh, you know, speaking to Everton fans, that seems to be the guy that they really want. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think for me, I, I think Frank Lampard would just be the best. I think he'd be the best fit. But Pereira, as you said, you know, he just doesn't seem particularly qualified for that job. So, um, yeah, I mean, Everton is such a mess. And I think I said on last week's show, they just seem to be a poison chalice. So whoever kind of takes that job, I think they're in for a very, very difficult time because it's, it just seems such a toxic place at the moment, Everton Football Club. So, um, yeah, good luck to whoever um, takes on that job for sure. Well, is this the problem, James, in that because it is so toxic that the likes of Frank Lampard will probably think, oh, do you know what? It's not really worth the hassle or I don't want that tainting the the copybook I've got already. So is this why someone like Vitor Pereira has become so 
attainable and so popular from Mashiri's viewpoint all of a sudden because actually this man is probably ready to, just to take the risk and all the fact that comes with it. I think so, and I'm, I'm quite surprised that Frank Lampard remains in the frame for the job. It almost feels like he's waiting for the right job to come along and then always comes up with a reason to kind of duck out of it. He's fast becoming the sort of Alan Kerbishley of, of modern times, always hovering around the 8 to 16 to 1 price to be the next manager of insert next Premier League club, but then never ends up getting the job. I don't think he'd be a particularly great appointment for Everton anyway. Vitor Pereira, don't know a huge deal about him. And I think that's probably the reason for the majority of the ire amongst Everton fans. And I, I mean, I think, it's, as as, uh, as Jamie says, a poison chalice for whoever takes the job. And I think it's a club that is going absolutely nowhere at the minute. And I think the manager is the last of the problems, really. Um, I think they reach far beyond the boardroom and systemic changes need to happen before they see any kind of on-pitch on success, I'm afraid. Well, the winter break might just work in Everton's favour in terms of installing a new appointment. They do, however, have a cup game against Brentford next weekend. So ideally, they'd like to get a man in charge for then, or Brentford might be licking their lips at the prospect of moving on to the fifth round. But before we move on, it's time for a correct score bet from you both. Very simple, it's exactly that. Anywhere in the weekend, I just want your correct score bets. Jamie, I'll start with you first. What have you got mm -hmm. for me? Yep, so I've gone to the, well, yeah, in the Championship, I've gone for a 1-0 win for Nor Nottingham Forest against Cardiff. Um, they, they go away to they, they go away to Wales there, Nottingham Forest. Uh, so Forest, have, they've won four of their last five in all competitions. They, of course, beat Arsenal um, in the FA Cup, so they're in very good form. Um, Cardiff's home form, has, recent home form as well, has been very poor. They have lost three of their last five. Um, and uh, and to kind of counter that as well, you know, Nottingham Forest, they've they've had some good um, away form as well. So they've uh, they've suffered just one defeat in their last five. They've got two wins and two draws as well during that period. Um, and I've gone for uh, card, you know, Nottingham to keep a clean sheet. Thirty-one percent of their games this season, they have kept a clean sheet in. Um, and Cardiff have failed to score in over half their matches this season. So uh, I'm back in Nottingham Forest to win one 0 at Cardiff on on the weekend. OK, and James, same please, a correct score, wherever it may be. What have you got for me? Well, Fulham remain in great form and I think they'll give Blackpool a hammer in this weekend. The Tangerines don't travel well, which sounds like my grocery order from Audi. But yeah, they've lost four of the last five on the road. And with Fulham playing the way they are, they could hand out a bit of a beating here. So I'm going to go 4-0 Fulham. You can get that at odds of 12-1, to 1, I think it was. He's gone big. And if you fancy that bet, check out freebets.com for the best insights and betting tips ahead of this weekend. Because if you fancy that one, there's nothing stopping you from placing that bet. But make sure you go to freebets first to get all the best odds. Right, let's move back to the top of the Premier League ladder now. Because although there's not a great amount of value in Manchester City winning and defending their title, the battle for the top four is a lot more interesting this season. And James, if we assume that Liverpool and Chelsea will earn a Champions League return... Which team stands out the most in what is looking like a simple race for fourth? Uh, I think it'll be Manchester United. They've got a really nice run of fixtures during February, so they can open a gap up between themselves and the chasing pack over the next four or five weeks. And they've probably got the depth in terms of forward options when you compare them to the likes of Arsenal, who, for all intents and purposes, have stopped scoring at all recently. And Tottenham, who will have to make do without Son until at least March. And look, United really should have been streets ahead by now, but the tide is just starting to turn in their favour a little bit now. That last minute win over West Ham last week is going to do wonders for their confidence. And momentum's a big thing in football, and I think they'll just go on a little bit of a run now over the next five, six games. 
Jamie, West Ham have got aspirations of finishing the top four after their impressive season last time around. But you get the feeling with their defeat to Manchester United on Saturday, which is a big defeat in the context of the top four race. You know, it's very easy, easy to say in hindsight, but had West Ham played for a draw and got that draw, then they might have been still in the race. But they're now 9-1 to one as an average price across the top mm. four market. Is that about fair? I mean, would you even be inclined to place that bet? Or West Ham kind of has the bubble burst, shall we say? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think West Ham, they do look to be kind of running up steam a bit. I think if you look at um, Arsenal, Spurs and Manchester United, I do think they are much better placed to kind of get that final fourth place spot than West Ham. Um, of course, they will have that distraction coming up soon of, of being in the Europa League as well. And so that will further stretch their squad. So um, and then you look at Spurs and Arsenal again, they won't have any, they won't have that distraction. So um, I think the teams above them will just have a bit too much on them. I think they are starting to run out of steam, as I said. Um, and then again, Spurs and Arsenal, they both have games in hand over them. I think Arsenal are level points with West Ham and Spurs are just a point behind with three games in hand. So um, I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to see West Ham finishing in the top four uh, this season. So, uh, no, I, that's not one that I'd, I'd look to go for, to be honest. Now, James, you mentioned Manchester United. Tottenham are at the same price, but I think that's Tottenham with games in hand. And I think the adage is you'd always rather have points on the board. Is the next week going to dictate where Tottenham really do finish? Because they're kind of in the hunt somehow because of Conte doing miracles with a squad which is not really fit for purpose. So if you extrapolate that squad for another 15, 16 games and more, has that got enough steam in it or will Man United go clear? I mean, I do think Man United will go clear, largely thanks to a really, really easy run of games during February. But Tottenham's destiny is in their hands. I think the next four or five days are pretty crucial in terms of bringing bodies in. I think Adama Traore would potentially be a game changer. We saw what Antonio Conte did with Victor Moses when he was at Chelsea. And I think Traore is the absolute perfect fit for that right wing-back position. I don't think Matt Doherty is the answer. Emerson Royale hasn't really convinced. I think he's more of a defensive-minded sort of player. So... Tottenham need to get the bodies in to, to really be competitive over the next stretch of the season. But at least they don't have to focus on European football. That's what they have over Manchester United, who, of course, got Atletico Madrid in the last 16 of the Champions League and potentially beyond that. So they'll perhaps look to make some marginal gains that way. But you know, I think over the course of, what is it, the last 17, 18 games, I think Manchester United will just be that little bit too strong for them. And Jamie, if we go back to West Ham or a market which might be more relevant to them, it's the without big six market. And although West Ham might be top of this at the moment, I'm more interested in Wolves. They're 10 to 3 at the moment to finish as the best of the non-big six teams. So that doesn't mean they have to finish in the top six. There might be someone who falls out of that, but the best of the rest, shall we say. Could they yeah. do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, they've, they've been really impressive this season under Bruno Large. I think they started somewhat fairly slow. They were struggling for goals, but now they've kind of really hit form and uh, they do just have a really nicely settled side. I mean, you look at their central midfield options, they've got that brilliant partnership of Neves and Matinho. You, of course, look at their wing-backs as well. Nelson, Nelson Samedo just kind of seems to be finally have found his feet in England. So they do look like a, like a really good shout, actually. And, of course, they will have uh, players coming back from injury. Um, they've got so much attacking talent up front as well. You've got the likes of Daniel Pedense. You've got Raul Jimenez. Um, so, so many good players there. Um, so, I, I really do fan... Yeah, and they've obviously got a big win at the weekend at, at Brentford. 
um, even with 10 men. So I think that they're definitely a very good shout. I, I definitely fancy them to finish above West Ham. I think there's, they've got a great chance of that. And again, they're a side that just don't have that European football um, and West Ham do. And I really think that that's going to stretch West Ham's squad. So I definitely can I definitely can see that them finishing the best of the rest for sure. James, talking of Brentford, what odds would you have given me last week on drone stops play? Considering how bonkers the Premier League has been over the last few years, <laughs> it would give me very good odds, to be honest. But it's one of those things that it does happen every so often. I don't know. I don't know who. I always wonder who who owns the drone. What happens in the aftermath? Do the Premier League send like a SWAT team to try and find out who owns the drone and where they live? And is there any repercussions for the person who was operating the drone? So many questions. Not enough time. <laughs> You're right. There's not enough time. So let's move on because there's no Premier League action this week, but there is plenty of Championship action. So. Although Fulham are heavy favourites to return back to the Premier League at the first time of asking and continue that yo-yo streak that they're in, the race for the other automatic promotion spot is wide open. So James, I mentioned Blackburn a few minutes ago. Can they go all the way and get second and land what would be, at the start of the season, a really unlikely promotion? Or will they run out of steam in the end? Does a lot of that depend on Brereton Diaz? Well, short answer in that, to that question is yes, but I, th- I think we'll find out a lot about their sort of overall credentials over the next few weeks as they have a particularly tough run of games to face Forest, Queen's Park Rangers and West Brom during a, a very busy February. But you contrast that with Bournemouth, who played Barnsley, Birmingham and Blackpool. So that really should be nine points for the Cherries. But Scott Parker's side have been making a right old mess of it in recent weeks. And it's testing times for Parker as well. He's had a pretty easy time of it as a championship boss over the sort of year and a half, he's been a manager at that level and he's clearly struggling to get his side out of this route they're currently in. And, you know, if it carries on any longer, he could be under some real pressure down on the south coast. Um, you know, it's going to go down to the wire either way, but I can't see QPR or West Brom bridging the gap. I think they're just not consistent enough. So it's certainly one of uh, Brereton, Diaz, FC or Bournemouth for sure. I mean, Blackburn played Middlesbrough on Monday, just gone, and they won 1-0, but they had 31% possession in what was a rather agricultural game, shall we say. It was a bit, one for the purists, shall we say, James. So is this Blackburn going to be the archetypal team of getting promoted if they do get promoted and then really struggling in the Premier League because their style of football is not cut out for the top flight? I actually don't think that they do too badly. Of course, there's a lot of moving parts that have to happen for them to, to thrive in the Premier League, but I think that kind of pragmatic style of football serves teams generally pretty well. I mean, it usually goes one of two ways with teams that like to play good possession football. We saw West Brom under the Blackburn manager, Tony Mowbray, 10 years ago, play good, attractive football on their way to getting promoted back to the Premier League. But they got chewed up and spat out the following season. But then you've got Brentford, who also play good football. And they're, by all intents and purposes, doing pretty well. So I think there's a lot more to it than style of play. It also depends on how much uh, the Blackburn owners are are willing to spend on the squad, should they get promoted? Since, of course, me, even in the short term, it's whether or not they stick or twist on Ben Brereton Diaz. Do they want to sell and cash in or do they want to stick with him and try and stick the course? Now, Jamie, if it's not to be Blackburn, as we know, there's a cluster of teams waiting to capitalise on their misfortune. One of those is QPR, but after a goalless draw home to Swansea on Tuesday night, will they feel that's two points dropped in that race for second? Yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, drawing a match like that. But however, they have been in very good form recently. They have won four of their last five regardless of that. So they are obviously the real informed side at the moment. Fulham, Fulham obviously, aside. Um, Bournemouth, uh, you know, as James said, they've really been on a, a very strange run recently. They've, they've lost three of the last five, including the last two. 
Um, so they're a side that certainly seem to be slipping up. So I think QPR will really fancy their chances now of catching them. So if I was to kind of say, if it wasn't for Blackburn, if it wasn't Blackburn to go up, then I actually really fancy QPR. I think they're they're having a very good season as well, uh, regardless. So for me, my my bet would probably be with QPR to to take that second spot off Blackburn if if Blackburn do slip up. Yeah, I'm going to go with Blackburn. I think also Fulham-Blackburn on March the 5th is going to be a key tie, whether that's the six-pointer by the time they actually meet because of Blackburn's tough February remains to be seen. But that could be integral in terms of that race for promotion spots, both first and second. But our final bit of business is the odds-on threefold. It's exactly that. Now we're going to pick three odds-on picks for the weekend. Let's go to the championship, I think. So I'll start with Jamie this time. What have you got mm. for me from an odds-on bet? Let's go over 1.5, no higher than evens. What have you got? Yep, uh, so I'm actually going to stick with QPR. Um, I've, I've, I'm fancying them to beat uh, Reading. Um, I'm going, uh, they've won four, as I said, they've won four of the last five. They're undefeated in that that run of games. Um, Reading, they've on, they are on a poor run of form at the moment. Uh, they're 21st in the championship. Um, they've lost four of their last five. Um, so I've got QPR to beat Reading at 8 to 15. Okay, and James, what are you throwing my way? I'm going to go for Sheffield United win at Peterborough, which is just on the right side of even money. I think it was 8 to 7 when I looked before we jumped on. But yeah, they beat Posh uh, 6 2 at home in the reverse fixture. And they also had a good victory over Luton last time out. It's just one win in 12, though, for Peterborough. So they're in prime relegation form, and I just can't see them getting out of that this weekend. OK, in that case, I'll add to the mix. I'll go Bournemouth to win away at Barnsley. Barnsley struggling at the foot of the championship table. Bournemouth need to hunt down Blackburn. I think this is the perfect occasion for that. I just feel that you know Bournemouth will have too much in their hope for promotion. So, yeah, I'm going to add that to the mix. So let's just recap. We've got QPR to get the better of Reading, Sheffield United to get the better of Portsmouth, and Bournemouth to get the better of Barnsley this weekend. So if you fancy that trio and you want to put your money where your mouth is, of course, before you do... Visit free bets because that is where you're going to get all the odds, insights and tips for all your betting activity across the weekends. And before we wrap up, I need to do the show's admin because we've hit full time. So, James, thanks for joining me this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Of course. Thank you, Dan. And Jamie, thanks for your time and sharing your betting insights with me. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan. Not a problem. So cheers, guys, and also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Odds On Podcast. And until next time... Goodbye.